All right, guys, good morning. Um, how we doing? We doing good? Yeah. Um, we got some people in the back that are passing out Bibles. So if you guys need a Bible, could you just kind of raise your hand, and we'll have some people that will make sure that you get one shortly. So uh, welcome, welcome, sixth graders. So glad you're here with us this morning. It's uh, so excited to be able to preach the Word of God to you guys this morning. And so we've been doing a series on... It's been called Real Love, and so we've been going on a series through that, and so in the beginning, Jeff was taking us through, you know, dating and marriage and some of that stuff, and then lately, we've been just looking at God's love, and so just stories in the Bible of of examples of the love the Father has for us, and so last week, Jeff preached on Zacchaeus and how he pointed at him and said, hey, I'm coming to you. I'm going to have lunch with you. I'm going to sit down, and I'm going to hear your story, and how so often God is calling us to love people where they're at, to reach them where they're at. I'm going I'm to I'm sit down and have a meal with you, and I'm going to love you for who you are and where you're at. And so, so that's what we talked about last week. Uh, this week, we're going to be looking at a story where Jesus walks on water and calls Peter out to do the same. And so we're going to be looking at just, you know, God's love and just some of the attributes of that, that what does that look like in our lives. And so just knowing that God's love gives us security in him, that God's love gives us affirmation, that God's love is rooted and grounded in grace and that God's love gives us direction and purpose. So if you guys open your Bibles to Matthew 14, um, verses 22 through 23, that's where I'm going to be reading. Which says, so Matthew 14, 22 through 33 says, "Immediately, Immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake, While he sent the people home. After sending them home, he went up to the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there alone. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble, far away from land, for a strong wind had risen, and they were fighting heavy waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them, walking on water. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. In their fear, they cried out, it's a ghost. But Jesus spoke to them at once. Do not be afraid, he said. Take courage, I am here. And then Peter called to him, Lord, if it really is you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went to the other side of the waves. And so, but, but, but then when, um, yeah, so, sorry. So Peter went to the other side of the boat and walked on the water towards Jesus. But then when he saw the strong winds and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Lord, save me, he shouted. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, he said. Why do you doubt me? When they climbed back in the boat, boat, the wind stopped. Then the disciples worshipped him. You really are the son of God, they exclaimed. That when we look at God's love, the first point that stands out is that God's love gives us security in him because we can trust in his unfailing love. I think one thing that stands out to me just thinking about the disciples and thinking about this moment where they're overwhelmed is I think something that's important to mention is that the disciples are in their element per se. That when Jesus, you know, was recruiting his disciples, these weren't religious leaders. These weren't people like that. Instead, they were tax collectors and many were fishermen. It wasn't like me and Jeff out in a little dinghy, you know, where there's just this massive storm and I have no idea how to manage a boat. These were people that like knew what they were doing. These were people that were like fishermen by trade, and yet they still found themselves in this moment where they were so overwhelmed that they were reaching out to Jesus saying, save me, like, we're not going to make it. And what I love is that obviously Jesus comes out and and reaches them where they're at, but it's one of those things that, you know, whether whether life is going really great or, or whether life is a struggle, sometimes we feel like we're in the midst of a storm. But even in the midst of the storm, 
even in the midst of the storm, that Jesus is faithful to reach us. He's faithful to meet us where we're at, and he's faithful to save and redeem us, that God is able to protect and provide for you, even when we feel so overwhelmed in the moment. Deuteronomy 31.6 says, So be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid, and do not panic before them. For the Lord your God will personally go ahead of you. He will never fail you nor abandon you. I think something else that stands out to me is that Jesus never would have called Peter to walk out to him if he didn't know that he was going to be able to take care of him. You know, Jesus wasn't saying, Peter, yes, come. And then in his mind, he's like, I hope he doesn't drown. Like, that would be a buzzkill. Like, I don't want to, you know, have to recruit another disciple. No, like Jesus the entire time is saying, Peter, come out to me because, like, I will take care of you. Like, like, look at me, fixate your eyes on me, and I'm more than enough to sustain you. And that's something that's amazing, too, thinking about this, is that when Peter's eyes was, when, when they were fixated on Jesus, Peter was walking on water. Like, he, I mean, he was doing it. Like, it's one of those things that, you know, we look at Jesus walking on water, and yet Peter had the faith to say, like, I'm going to look at my eyes on you, and I'm going to walk out to you. That is knowing that the Father provides. That is having that confidence and security in him. And it wasn't until that he, like, took his eyes off Jesus and started looking at the waves, started looking at the winds and started to let fear creep in. That's when he sank. But when his eyes were fixated on Jesus, he was walking on water. How many, just uh, a show of hands, how many of you guys like roller coasters? Do we? Okay. So we got a lot. So I love roller coasters now, but I hated them as a kid. They terrified me. Like I was so scared. And so there was this family trip where me and my brother, we were out in Idaho uh, Silverwood, it was this theme park. And I remember looking at my brother thinking like, hey, is dad going to make us go on the rides? Like, I really don't want to go today. And as I'm saying this, my dad immediately buys the tickets and then proceeds to sprint to the rides. I'm like, oh, here's our answer. I mean, my dad's like a five-year-old, like running after the rides. I'm like, dad, we can walk. He's like, no, like, we got to be first. And so like, I, like, I'm looking at my brother and, and we're doing that like walk where you like, you're walking like, an hour, a mile, you know, you're just like, I just don't want to get there. And so the entire time, my brother is looking at my dad saying, hey, dad, I just want you to know I'm not going to go on any rides today. And my dad's like, yeah, I know it's okay. Oh, sorry. Um, my dad's like, yeah, I know, I know it's okay. Come on, come on. And, and, my, and my brother's like, dad, no, for real. Like, I'm not going on any of the rides today. He's like, I know, I know. He's telling my dad this as we're walking to the ride. He's telling my dad this as we're standing in line waiting for the ride. He is telling my dad this as he is sitting in the seat to go on the ride. And he's like, dad, I'm not going on. Yeah, no, no, it's okay. And there was this moment, I think, for my brother when he, like, finally, like, it clicked. He's like, oh, my gosh. Like, I'm literally strapped in to go on this ride. And so he's, like, starting to freak out at this point. And me being a good little brother I am, you know, wanting to follow my brother, wanting to, you know, look up to him. I just start to weep. I just start to cry. Like, I mean, I'm like a kid at this point, you know. But I just start to bawl. My brother's freaking out. And so in this, like, concerned moment, the, like, operator, like, walks up to me and my dad and, and sees, like, one kid crying, one kid, like, heavy breathing, freaking out. And then my dad's just, like, glaring at him. And, like, in the most, like, loving, gentle, Grant Esborg way, it's just like, hit it, man. And so the guy's, like, rat, you know, just freaks out and, like, hits the thing and, like, off we go. And I remember the entire time, I'm like, we're going to die. Like, we're going to die. Like, I mean, I had a good run. Like, you know. And so, like, you're just going up and up and up. And I'm just, like, terrified, absolutely terrified. But I remember, like, the moment, like, we go down and the moment the ride happens, like, something amazing happened. Like, we actually had fun. Like, my brother, halfway through the ride, when he first decides to open his eyes, like, he even had even more fun, you know? <laughs> but, like, there was this moment, I think, where we realized, like, oh, my gosh, like, this is actually a blast. 
Like, this is actually safe. <laughs> like, and we went on rides for the rest of the day. But what I think is so important to note is that my dad never would have had me go on that ride if it wasn't safe. My dad never would have taken me on there saying, like, I hope we're going to be okay. Like, I hope, like, I don't know, we'll see. Like, my dad never would have done that because my dad loves me so much. My dad knew without a shadow of a doubt that, like, if I took that step of courage, like, not only was I going to, like, be okay, but I was going to have a great time. And I think in the same way, Jesus is just saying, like, if you take that step of faith, like, I'm going to take care of you. Like, I'm not going to call you out to do something that I know you can't handle. Like, I'm not going to call you out and then hope, like, you're going to get through it. Like, I'm calling you out with a promise saying, I'm going to take care of you. I'm right here every step of the way. That, that, that when he was calling out to Peter, saying, yeah, come to me. Like, the entire time, Jesus just wants Peter to know that it's going to be okay. Like, fixate your eyes on me, and, like, you'll get through it. Like, I'm here for you. Security in Christ means that we trust him with our lives. Isaiah 40, 29 through 31 says, He gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. But even youths will become weak and tired, and young men will fall in exhaustion. But those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. For me, uh... One of my favorite Bible verses is Proverbs 4.23, which just says, above all else, guard your heart, for it's the wellspring of life. And so for me, kind of, you know, in my high school years, I kind of took this as, like, my, my life verse, like, my theme verse, per se. But, but growing up, I, I, I had a lot of insecurities that I wrestled with. I had a lot of things. And so I took that verse way too literally. I was like, all right, I'm going to guard my heart then. And I think so often what I did was actually, like, it was crippling. Like, I wasn't, letting, I wasn't letting anyone in. Like, I was pushing people aside, saying, I'm guarding my heart. That's what, that's what Jesus says. And I think there was a time where God was like, no, you're looking at this verse all wrong. Because what you need to understand is that the best way to guard your heart is to give it to me. And trust that not only do I want to guard your heart, but I can actually do a better job of guarding it than you ever could. And so for us, like, the best way to have security in Jesus is to trust him with our lives. Saying, like, God, like, I know you're going to provide. In the moments of life where everything is going amazing and in the moments of life where we feel like we're in the midst of a storm, we can have security in Christ in both because we know that he is a God who protects and provides everything within us. The second point on God's love is that God's love gives us affirmation that Jesus is always going to make time for you. That, you know, so before, um, before the, the part where Jesus walks on water, earlier in that chapter, they talk about, about a guy named John the Baptist. And this was a guy who, who spoke about one to come that would fulfill prophecy. And he was referring to Jesus. This is a guy who baptized Jesus. Like, what, what, what an amazing honor. And so in the beginning of this chapter, he actually was killed. He was beheaded. And so there's this moment where Jesus is just in mourning, like, just needs time to just kind of get away and to pray. And so we look at Matthew 14, 13 through 14, and it just says, as, as soon as Jesus heard the news, he left in a boat to a remote area to be alone. But the crowds heard where he was heading and followed on from many towns. Jesus saw the huge crowds as he stepped out in the boat, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. And I think what's so important to know is that when, G- when you seek Jesus out, he will never turn you away. That Jesus has compassion on you. That Jesus deeply cares. And I think sometimes when we're in the midst of a storm, it feels like he's not making the time for us. Because we feel like we're not hearing the voice of God. But the truth is that Jesus is with you every step of the way. The first Peter 5, 7 says, Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. 
That when our heart breaks, his heart breaks. When our heart rejoices, his heart is stoked. That Jesus genuinely cares about you. Uh, you know, we, we, we made a plug about camps, and I'm just going to say it again. Go to camp. It's amazing. Um, I, I, I think about my life, and I think about how many cool moments where God has spoken to me and encouraged me at camps. And so just reflecting on one of them, when I was in high school, um, there was kind of, it was kind of a season for me where I was wrestling through some kind of forgiveness stuff just with, with, with my family, just kind of regarding the divorce that happened when I was way little. But I was kind of wrestling through that, and, and there was a moment where the preacher said something that just kind of triggered something in my heart. And, and I'll say this, too. I was kind of at that age where I felt like dudes don't cry. Like, I got to be tough. And can I just say something? Like, that's not true at all. Like, real men let the tears flow. Like, there is nothing wrong with being able to be in a moment where you're vulnerable and you cry. So that being said, I, there was this moment where I just kind of, I, I, like, it wasn't like a tear comes out or two, you know, where you can just kind of, like, trickle it away. Like, the floodgates are coming. And so, like, I'm an ugly crier. And so it's not pretty. And so I'm at the point where, like, I'm kind of a distraction for people. And, I'm, you know, you're trying to hold it together. You're trying to, you know, suck everything up. And it just doesn't work. So, you, you know, and so in this moment, like, I just get up and I leave. Like, I just walk out of the church. And, and, and what I love so much, though, is that, that my best friend, like, didn't skip a beat. Like, he got up right after me, like, walked out and saw that I was okay. And it was one of those things, like, in that moment, like, you know, he didn't necessarily have the right words to say, but I just, like, he sat and he cried with me. And it was one of those things on a, on a separate side note, just a, a random tangent, that we need a friend like that. Like, we need a friend who's willing to get in the trenches for us. And we also need to be that friend for someone else. And so, but in the same way that, like, Jesus, like, he's there for us. And, and, and Jesus doesn't make time for us, like, begrudgingly. Like, it isn't like scheduling an appointment. Like, I got seven billion people today. Like, hope I fit you in. You know, like, Jesus is, like, stoked to make time for you. Like, he does it every time. Like, Jesus isn't hesitating. Jesus wants to pursue you with everything. Because in the Bible, like, he refers to us as his masterpiece. You know, like, we are made in the image of God. Like, I think the truth is we can't even comprehend or fathom sometimes how much God loves us. And, and knowing that God loves us more than we can possibly imagine, like, we have to know that, like, he desperately wants to make time for us, that he's desperately seeking us out. And so, so in this moment where the disciples cry out to Jesus, he instantly is there. And, and in our lives, there's these moments where, like I said, whether things are going great or whether things are hard, when we cry out to Jesus, when we seek him out, he immediately meets us where we're at. He doesn't hesitate. He doesn't leave us hanging, that he always makes time for us. The third point on God's love is that God's love is founded and rooted in grace. That he will catch you every time you fall. That Jesus' grace is immediate and there are no strings attached. You know, I, I would like to say that I, in this passage, sometimes I feel like Peter gets a bad rap. You know, I mean, you know, he falls and he's like, you, you know, you have little faith. But Peter was the only disciple willing to get out of the boat. Like, 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 I think there has to be some credit there, like partial credit, you know, like in the sense of, you know, like all the other disciples are like, no, we're good. We're good right here, you know. And Peter yet is like, Jesus, like, I want to come out and meet you where you're at. And so Peter has this courage, has this faith to get out of the boat. And, and even though he falls, like, that's something that is so powerful within our, our human nature, like in the sense of, like, like we're, we're made of flesh. We have shortcomings. We have weaknesses. Only Jesus Christ walked on this earth perfectly. And so we'll never, we'll never do that. Like, like, it's not a matter of if we mess up. It's a matter of when. Like, like, we're human. We need grace. And so knowing that we have weaknesses, though, I think we kind of have two reactions. We can either let those fears dictate our lives, and we can let that fear kind of cripple us and make us weak and make us timid. Or we can be like Peter, 
who knows that, you know, at times he's a mess, but he gets up running after Jesus, falling face first, get back up, and just continuing to chase after Jesus. That in Proverbs 24, 16, it says that the godly may trip seven times, but they will get up again. But one disaster is enough to overthrow the wicked. It doesn't say the righteous don't make mistakes. And if you do, then bummer. You know, like, that's not the version I have. The Bible says that the righteous guy is the guy who gets back up. That Jesus' grace is there for us every time we fall, ready to pick up and restore us. So for most of you guys who know, I, I love football. It, 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 does, anyone like, does anyone like football here? Uh, it's, it's a good sport. And I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to agree with that, but that's okay. Uh, <laughs> go Seahawks. But so, you know, um, I, loved, I loved playing football. And so the positions I played was, it was called fullback and linebacker. And the one thing that you need to know about those positions is that they're about power, but they're not about speed or coordination. I loved that. I loved being able to play a position where I just was a wrecking ball. I've been called in the youth team a a bull in a china shop. My nickname is Wreck-It Ralph, if that kind of just, you know, signifies who I am. And so I love not being able to have coordination. And so there was this time where I was playing a football game. And, and I get the ball, and I break it wide open. You know, there's probably like 40, 50 yards, and then it's just, it's wide open. No one's going to catch me. And I think at the time, I loved making the excuse that the field was pretty jank. Uh, you're running, and like chunks of grass are flying everywhere. Like, it wasn't the best field. But there's this point where I break it, and I'm running, and it's like I can see the end zone, and I start to just stumble. Like, I start to lose my balance. I start to just have complete lack of coordination, and I just face plant at the two. And, I, and, I, and, I, and I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Like, literally, it's like, right, it's not that, that's the chair. And, like, the nearest defender is, like, in the other building. Like, there's nobody there. And so I remember just feeling so embarrassed. Like, I remember just getting up and, like, I immediately have this, like, mixed emotions of just, like, anger and shame. My teammates don't know what to do. Half of them are mad at me. The other half are laughing their faces off. And so there's this moment where I just, like, I feel the shame. But what I love is that my coach doesn't say anything. He doesn't pile it on. He's not, like... Like, wow, way to go. Like, what I love is my coach poised, immediately calls the same play and says, you're going to score. And so we, we run the exact same play. I, I catch the ball and I score a touchdown. But what I love is that my coach wasn't trying to kick me while I was down. My coach just wanted to pick me up. And I think so often, like, that's the heart of Jesus. Like, the heart of Jesus is not to shame you for your fears, for your failures, for your mistakes. The heart of Jesus is I want to pick you up. I want to dust you off and I want to make it right. Like, let's go. And, and what I love is that when, when Jesus calls, or when Peter calls out to Jesus when he's about to fall, it says that Jesus immediately catches him. It doesn't say that Jesus, you know, lets Peter kind of drown a little bit in the water, like look at the disciples and say, hey guys, this is what happens when you question me. <laughs> like, like, you know, if, if you would have kept your eyes on me, like if you would have kept your eyes on the prize, like you would have been okay. Instead, you're like Peter here who like, I think he can breathe, you know, and it, it doesn't do that. Like, the heart of Jesus is, he's not leaving him dangling. The heart of Jesus is, I immediately catch you because my grace has no strings attached. My grace is more than enough for you. And and something that, you know, what Jesus is saying is that Jesus is not after your perfection. He's after your pursuit. You know, Jesus, so many times, his own disciples, his own followers of Jesus fell short. And every time Jesus didn't give them a lecture, he just picked them up, dusted them off, and made it right. And so we need to know that like we have the grace of Jesus Christ with us, that we can never out the love and the grace of Jesus. He will catch you every time you fall and he will redeem you every time. As 2 Corinthians 12, 9 says, each time he said, my grace is all you need. 
My power works best in weakness, so now I am glad to boast about my weakness, so the power of Christ can work through me. Ephesians 2.8 also says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you cannot take credit for this, for this is a gift from God. That, that when, I think about, when I think about the love of God, when I think about the attributes of the heart of the Father, like, I can't think about it without grace. Like, there is that moment where, like, we all need it, and we all have it. There's no strings attached. That God's grace is more than enough to pick you up every time you fall. The fourth and final point, looking at God's love, is that God's love gives you direction, and it gives you purpose. Matthew 14, 32 through 33, talks about after, you know, Jesus reaches out and saves Peter. It says that when they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped. Then the disciples worshipped him. You really are the son of God, they exclaimed. What I love is that the very first thing the disciples do after witnessing this miracle is they stop and they worship Jesus. And I think in our own lives, like there's moments where we feel like we're in a storm. And our immediate reaction needs to be just to sit and to worship Jesus. Because what it does is two things, two very powerful things happen. When we take the time to just sit and worship Jesus in the midst of a storm, the first thing that it does is it's a, it's a sign of surrender. It's a sign of saying, God, I don't have it all together, but you do. Like, I trust you with my life. It goes back to that security in Christ. It comes from submitting to him. It comes from knowing that he's going to take care of us. And so there is this recognition of saying, God, I surrender to you. And I think the second thing that it does is it takes the eyes off of ourselves and it fixates our eyes on Jesus. That it's not about us, it's about him. That it's not about our plans or what we think life is going to look like. It's about what Jesus has intended for us. Again, going back to Peter, that when we looked at Peter, when his eyes were fixated on Jesus, he was walking on water. But it was when, he, it was when his, eyes, his eyes shifted focus, shifted gaze, and he starts to worry about the winds and the waves, that he then begins to sink. But what the disciples do in this moment is they just sit and worship Jesus. And so I think God is in the same way saying, like, give me your life. Your purpose is to worship me. Like, when you think about purpose in life, my purpose is to bring glory and honor to the name of Jesus Christ in any way that I can. I want to be a vessel for the kingdom. That is my heart. That is my purpose. That is my aim. Hebrews 12.2 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding his shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Now, after this, after Jesus walks on water, we fast forward a couple chapters in Matthew. And we look at Matthew 16, and there's this moment where Jesus is talking to the disciples. And he says, who do you say that I am? You know, because some people were saying, you know, he's this. Some people were saying he's this. And so he just wants to know, disciples, who do you say I am? And Peter, without missing a beat, says, you know, you are the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. And in this moment, what I love, I love Jesus just responds in this way. Matthew 16, 17 through 19 says, Jesus replied, you are blessed Simon, son of John, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being, 
Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. And I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven, and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. Um, if Noah, where is he? If he yeah, I'll get the keys. Um, but, you know, I take a second to say, wait, Peter. Peter, the guy who, the guy who falls in the water. You know, the guy who a few chapters later when Jesus is about to die, when Jesus is about to be crucified, the Peter that denies Jesus three times and runs away, who turned his back on him for a brief moment, that Peter? And and, and what I love is that, yeah, the answer is yes, that Peter. Because Jesus did not build his church on a perfect heart. Jesus built his church on a willing heart. That he looked at Peter, he saw someone who like fell, but every time got back up, that God's love and grace fuels you and gives you purpose. It gives you direction. We look at Peter and we see two different sides of him. We look at Peter in in the gospels and we see moments where he fell on his face, moments where he needed someone to pick him up. He needed Jesus' grace, moments where he denied Jesus three times before the rooster crowed. And yet then later we see Jesus ascend back into heaven. And so we see that that the book of Acts is is about the early church. And it's about the people that founded the early church. And we see Peter. And in that moment, we don't see the side of Peter that's timid. We don't see the side of Peter that, like, wrestles with insecurity. We see that Peter who is preaching to thousands of people, saving thousands of people, doing miracles in the name of Jesus, fighting religious leaders. We see a side of Peter that has this boldness. We see the side of Peter that has no timidity, is ready to take on anything for the kingdom. And I think what happened is something so simple but so profound is that Peter encountered Jesus' love. Peter experienced and encountered what the grace of God meant. And when, when he experienced it, his life was forever changed. There was no going back. There was no going back to the old way. That when you know the love of God, you know the grace of God, that it changes something in your heart. One encounter with Jesus is enough for your life to never be the same. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God has not given you a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, of love, and of self-discipline. That when you encounter the love and the grace of Jesus Christ, your, love is never, your life is never the same. And knowing that love, it fuels us with purpose. Because we know that it's about Jesus, it's about his kingdom, it's about what can I do to give glory to the name of God. That it's no longer about my life, but it's about pursuing Jesus with everything in us. So this morning, just you know, we're going to have one more just song. And I just want you guys to just know that you are deeply loved by the King. That there is something powerful within that, that. That that God's love gives us this security. That whether life is going really good for you right now, or whether you feel like you're in a storm, that God wants to meet you where you're at. That God wants you to know that I've got you. Like, I've got you. Like, take that step of faith. Know that I'm going to provide. I've got you. And that we know that that love and that grace gives us strength. And knowing that, that it fuels us out to be the person that God called us to be. If the worship team wants to come on, I'm going to pray. And then we'll, we'll close out with one more song. God, I thank you so much for your heart. God, I thank you that that you didn't build your church on a perfect heart. You built your church on a willing heart. That we are the church, the body. And and that you know that there's times we mess up, but that your grace is more than enough to catch us every time we fall. That it's not about about perfection, it's about pursuit. And we can never out-sin the love and grace of Christ.
Christ. So God, this morning, I just pray that we would know what your love means, God, that we would experience your real love this morning. God, we love you, we praise you, and we trust you. In your name, Jesus, amen.